0: I've held It pays my way And it corrodes my soul I want to leave You will not miss me I want to go down In musical history Frankly, Mr. Shankly I'm a sickening wreck I've got the 21st century Breathing down my neck I must move fast You understand me I want to go down and sell your lloyd here. Or holy, any day, any day, any day. But sometimes I feel more fulfilled making Christmas cards with a mentally ill. I want to live and I want to love. I want to catch something that I might be ashamed of. Frankly. Mr Shankly, this position I've held It pays my way and it corrodes my soul oh, I didn't realise that you wrote poetry I didn't realise you wrote such bloody awful poetry Mr Shankly Frankly, Mr Shankly, since you ask you
1: Frankly, Mr. Shankly, that's The Smiths, and that was from the album The Queen Is Dead. I'm David Eastall, and this is The C86 Show. <music> Welcome once again to another thrilling ride. As always, I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. As always, I'll be crossing time, space, and genre with the finest in indie pop. This week's special guest is going to be Attila, the stockbroker, who I caught up with quite a long time ago. But I've got the interview. It's ready. It's been chopped up into about four easy-to-digest little segments throughout. So I'll be able to play those, so you'll find out lots more about Attila, the stockbroker. But we're going to begin the show with your favourite and my favourite. This is a bang and a wimpy.
2: Right, right. This is called a bang and a wimpy. It's about being threatened in hamburger bars. Swing door swings open in the fast food fun palace. Two pairs of eyes meet mine. I steal myself and grimace. Elbows against the counter, they slump. Mean-eyed, po-faced, no-nonsense. Pre-pubescent pugilists, terror tots. South London's finest, knee-high planning nursery crimes. The Wimpy Bar Mafia, nine years old, Mako, murderous. Primary school, but primed to kill or maim or terrorise. Size you up and slice you through with Peter Sutcliffe eyes. They're into older women. Eleven or twelve's their favourite age. They chat them up as they come in, invade their space like space invaders. Oi, love. Want some chips. Then invite them home for glue and a private rendition of the new Exploited single. Or some other manic mayhem to make their extremities tingle Soon they'll be old enough to bunk into a disco But till then they'll stick to the hamburger hustle A bang and a wimpy, a wimpy and a bang The grim and grimy gangsters from the Mustard and Crass gang Video vandals Violent virgin vigilantes, virgin on the vindictive Now I've been searching for the young soul rebels Been searching everywhere, couldn't find them anywhere But here they are in the wimpy barn right by Victoria Station I stand and watch them operate in muted fascination till Here, got 10p mate snaps me back to hard reality and the half-concealed glinting switchblade smiles with awful clarity. I give them 21 pence and they give me a hard smile. Now they've the price of another tube, they're happy for a while. And in the wimpy wonderland, the crisis kids run free. A bang, a wimpy and a sniff, and home in time for tea.
3: Thank you to the members. This is Living With Unemployment. got no work, you just watch television, living with an employer, I, I ain't got a job, and there's no work in the city, I, they, they always try to blame it on the blacks, but it's real Train. We're sleeping all day long. And you do know no one, cause you don't know how, cause you've got no work, you just watch television, living without unemployment. Well, round our way, we've not got a lot. And after three years on the dole, I felt I'd been left to rot. But now I joined the army and. I don't know. I'm going on overnight long and I'm going to get shot. Living in a bit too. We're back in the tube trains. Yeah, I'm sleeping all day long. And you don't know what, cause you're going to go out. Cause you've got no work, you just watch television. Yeah. What it's like to be unemployed work, I out of work, 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 to stay out of trouble here.
1: There you go, the um, the unmistakable sound of the new town neurotics on a track called Living With Unemployment that came out on, I believe, on Jungle Records. And actually, that version seems to be a 12-inch because it does go on for several days with a bit of a dub V vibe. But anyway, we'll uh, better edit it there, otherwise we'll never get round to hearing any of the interview with uh, Attila the Stockbroker. And before we have the new town neurotics, we did have the uh, Attila the classic, a bang, and a wimpy. There you go. This is David Saw. This is, this is the C86 show. Always bring you an interesting special. And this week, obviously, it's going to be the turn of Attila the Stockbroker. So, as I mentioned earlier, and hopefully you were paying attention, I'll be bringing that interview a bit later on with lots of other exciting um, bits and pieces. But because I've got quite a lot to cram in and only a little time, I think we should play another one of Attila's classics. And this is going to be Contributory and Negligence.
2: Um, this was a poem which I wrote after... A- Incredible court case where a high court judge had ruled that a woman who was hitchhiking late at night and was picked up and raped was because she was a woman Asking to be raped because she was hitchhiking late at night and therefore guilty of contributory negligence And so the judge let the man who raped her off with a fine and this was like an unbelievable decision Um, And it made a lot of people angry including myself and I wrote this poem which is a simple poem about a high court judge Who picks up a hitchhiker late at night and gets beaten up (laughs) (coughs) And it's also called contributory negligence Hitching up the M11, coming back from a Dexys gig, got picked up at half eleven by this bloke in a funny wig. Flash Mercedes, new and gleaming, deep pile seats and deep seat piles. I got in and sat there scheming, while the dickhead flashed me smiles. Told me he was back from sessions with a load of brain-dead hacks. Told me he made no concessions, to the boot boys and the blacks. Said he thought that it was stupid fuss about rapists on the news. Bloke was only playing Cupid. Girls like that, they don't refuse. Asked me if I thought him enemy. Asked me if I bore a grudge. Told me that he came from Henley. Said he was a high court judge. I asked him to stop a second, he a slashed, that's why I said. When he did, the anger beckoned, and I smacked him in the head, took the keys and took his money, crashed the car into a ditch, though he moaned, they'll get you, sonny, got away without a hitch. I don't think they'll ever find me, because I'm many miles away, but if one day they're right behind me, I know what I'm going to say. He asked for it! He's rich and snobbish, right-wing, racist, sexist too, fat and ugly, sick and slobbish, should be locked in London too. He wanted me to beat him up. It was an open invitation. Late at night he picked me up, an act of open provocation. I call judges who are a blight. They should stay home in nice warm beds. And if they must drive late at night, should never pick up Harlow Reds. A five pence fine is right and proper. And to sum up my defence, it was his fault he came a cropper. Contributory negligence! Thank you.
4: kick
5: on.
1: Indeed, that was the unmistakable sound of the Redskins. And that was a track called Kick Over the Statues from their 1986 album, Neither Washington Nor Moscow. Probably one of the best albums of the 80s. And before that, we had the amazing sound of Attila the Stockbroker. Amazing sound. That didn't make any sense at all. Um, Yeah, it's quite a hard-hidden poem, actually. But that was, yes, one of his other famous um, poems. Contributory negligence. So, yes, this is David Easton on the C86 show. Um, a little bit later on, I will tell you how to contact me if you want to, because it's always nice to hear your messages. And um, as you can tell, I'm slightly hesitant trying to work out what to play next and um, how much time we have. But anyway, look, I'm going to play one more. A uh, poem by Attila the Stockbroker. And then we'll have the first part of the interview, The Excitement is mounting. Now this is one that he wrote quite recently. This is titled Never Too Late.
2: This is called Never Too Late. And it's dedicated to my stepfather, John Stanford. My father died when I was 10. And when she dried her tears, Mum met you in the choir. She'd known of you for years. I was so pleased when she told me that she would be your wife. And I look forward happily to a new man in my life. But you were the classical singer who thought rock and roll was junk. And I was the bolam boogie boy who soon became a punk. You were the civil servant for whom everything had its place. And I was the left-wing activist out there and in your face. Yes, you were the head of the household. And I was the stroppy kid. We wound each other up for sure. We flipped each other's lid. But later, we both learned so much and something new began. And here's a poem I wrote for you, you decent gentleman. So I went off to my own life, left you and mum to yours. A few words about football, then the sound of closing doors. But the passing of so many years gave us both time to reflect. And slowly, oh so slowly, we forged a new respect. When you were ill the first time and found it hard to walk, I'd take you to the hospital and we would sit and talk. It felt so right and normal and it was such a shame that it had taken all this time, both stubborn, both to blame. Because you were the head of the household and I was the stroppy kid. We wound each other up for sure. We flipped each other's lid. But later, we both learned so much and something new began. And here's a poem I wrote for you, you decent, gentleman. When mum came down with Alzheimer's, five years you cooked and cared. And we were round there every day, so many thoughts were shared. Your simple, honest loyalty. The vows you made, you'd keep. No longer the big boss man. Me, no longer the black sheep. Then came that day in hospital. The end was near, we knew. You told me, I do love you, John. I said, I love you too. You took my hand and squeezed it. Our eyes were filled with tears. The first time that we'd said that, it took 37 years. Because you were the head of the household, and I was the stroppy kid. We wound each other up for sure. We flipped each other's lid. But later, we both learned so much. And something new began. And here's a poem I wrote for you. decent, gentle man. It's never too late, never too late, never too late to say you love someone, and if it wasn't too late for me and John, then it's never too late for
1: anyone. Indeed, it's a real let's party on sort of show today, isn't it? Anyway, the joys of getting old and um, all that groovy stuff. This is David Eastall. If you want to contact me, you can. This is the C86 show, always um, trying to play the finest in indie pop. You can via Twitter or Facebook, just go to C86show and I will be there. And as I always say, it's always nice to hear from you, but uh, yes, keep it positive and groovy. Otherwise, don't bother. Life's too short and then you die. Anyway, this is the first part of my interview with Attila uh, St- uh, uh, where I talk a little bit and ask him about the background and his early years. It's a classic opening question.
6: I mean, I've been earning my living as a tiller since 1982 and I started in 1980 in Harlow in Essex. And uh, very quickly, um, started just basically, I mean, I was in punk bands in the late 70s and then, um, but I was always writing poetry. And after I saw John Cooper Clark, I thought, you know, I could do that. So I started jumping up on stage in between bands at gigs, mainly the New Town Erotics, around the scene in, in Harlow, where I was living at the time. And uh, very, very quickly, I was lucky, I was very fortunate. Um... I, I, I teamed up with some some other poets from from the north, especially a guy who became a really good mate and a great poet, Seething Wells, yes, um, who sadly died um, in two thousand and seven. Um, and we um uh, and we started doing loads of gigs, and one of them was in London, uh, just a little gig in a pub called the Roundhouse, not the Roundhouse, just a pub called. Um, and a guy called Red Saunders, who used to be active in Rock Against Racism, turned up and said he wanted to record the gig and put it out on a single. And so we said, sure, Red, if you want to do that, you're very, very welcome. But I mean, no, I was thinking, who's going to buy poetry on a record anyway? To cut long stories, he, um, he did the recording <coughs> and he put out the single, Rough Raw, and Ranting, a till of the stockbroker and seething wells on the um, on the Radical Wallpaper label. It had a little tag, uh, 99p in Sainsbury's. I think it was actually, I think it was 49p in Sainsbury's. And like Sainsbury's, I to eat Sainsbury's. And a few weeks later, I was fishing, you know, I'm a very keen sea angle. I was down visiting my... My mum, you know, in the town where I'm from, the port town where I'm from, Southwick in West Sussex, where I live now, um, and uh, I was just fishing late at night listening to P, and suddenly said, "Now here's a till the stop broken," and he played a bang and a Wimpy," one of my poems, and then he played a lot more of them, um, and. Uh, then he gave me a session, and then another session, and by that time, and that got me a record deal with Cherry Red, and that really started everything off. And that was in 1982. So that was, um, and basically, you know, although obviously the, um, you know, the other side of that is that, you know, in the, the way of the music press in the 80s, you know, I was this year's thing for about six months, and then I became last year's thing, and everyone said, you know, give up and get a proper job, and I just said, no, I'm good. <laughs> I love doing this, and I'm good at it, and I was already an organizer because I was. I've been organising gigs already at Kent University when I was at university. I was on the ENTS Commission. I was organising, I was part of the, the ENTS team in the early days of punk, putting on all the punk bands, we put the damned third gig on, we put 999's first gig on, we did And I was also involved in Rockets Races and putting stuff on. So I was experienced in organising gigs, so I was, it was easy for me to organise my own gigs. And I've quite literally been a DIY performance poet since 1982, 83, and I've been living out of it for, for 35 years
1: and And obviously, you came along at probably just the right time because the the eighties especially sort of um the political landscape as well as the cultural and social was just brimming with sort of um... well
6: yeah I mean the point about it was i mean the, the fundamental thing obviously <laughs> yeah it's exactly what's happening I'm just my new book my my ninth book of poetry uh, undaunted is uh, is you know, it's coming, it's being published, and I say it's being published, 2,000 copies are turning up on the doorstep in a couple of weeks. I do everything DIY, I do everything myself. Um, and, um, you know, like then, I mean, one of the, I feel like the only redeeming feature of a completely screwed up political system where injustice is rampant, rampant and all the rest of it is that for people like me, there's an awful lot to write about. I mean, I wish there wasn't. I've got plenty of other stuff to write about. I do an awful lot of personal material these days too. But um, obviously... I was writing about all the issues at the time. Um, obviously, the, the, the destruction of the welfare state by Thatcher, though nothing compared to what's happening now. And of course, then the, the great miners' strike and then the printers' dispute. And, and I was involved in all those movements. And um, so, yeah, there was an awful lot for me to write about. And I, I linked up with, obviously, with the miners and uh, you know with, with, with all the kind of cultural group um, activity that was going on at the time. I, I, was, I did loads of benefits as I still do today. Um, and, um, and, and basically, that's it. I mean, I started then. I, you know. Um, and uh, as time went by, I got more opportunities to tour abroad. I've, I've done, you know, I think I've, I've done, I've done about three thousand five hundred gigs in twenty-four countries now. I toured Australia four times, New Zealand three times, Canada about six times, the States four times, all over mainland Europe. Got a band called Barnstormer. We play occasionally in mainland Europe, and you know we've done about six or seven hundred gigs altogether in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Holland. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, and, and the advent of the internet, of course, the whole social media thing, the whole, you know, the, the whole internet thing has made my life just that much easier because now I can literally spread ideas, you know, myself, I don't have to worry about whether or you know, I'm not terribly flavour of the month with the sort of mainstream media. I... I've, I've uh, The value the of four and the people like that are scared of me really because of my politics. Um, although I do get on when I'm doing. There's a basic rule of thumb with them is I get on when I'm not talking about politics. I mean, my my uh, 14 minute poem for my about my mum and her battle with Alzheimer's was on Poetry Police last year. Um, and I've had quite a lot of bits and pieces, but you know, generally social. We're talking about social issues. or about or about my. My, my past, all about football, I get on there. Yeah, uh, but I'm on six music quite a lot. Steve Lamacq used to be my roadie, um, and uh, you know, and I, yeah. I accept, but the main thing is, as I say, is it's tremendously easy for me to get publicity and for people to hear the stuff and to spread ideas just online, and that's how it works now. You know, and it's fantastic for sort of DIY if you like, independent performer, underground performer like me, I really can't get around an awful lot and it's brilliant.
1: It does sound brilliant and all rather groovy. Anyway, that's the first part of my interview with Attila the Stockbroker and like I said, I've got another few sections or segments of that to wheel out towards the end of the show. But anyway, look, I've got another one of Attila's poems and um, I realised last time I announced it and then he announced it. So instead, I'll just hand it over to Attila.
2: This is a centenary war poem For my father, Bill Bain, 1899 to 1968. What passing bells for those who die as cattle? Only the monstrous anger of the guns. And so some lines to spike, centenary prattle. These words are sole survivor, soldiers' sons. My father, Bill, born in Victorian England, the 6th of January, 1899. His stock, loyal London, proletarian doff cap. Aged 17, he went to join the line. Not in a war to end all wars forever, but in a ghastly slaughter at the Somme, a pointless feud, a royal family squabble fought by their proxy poor with gun, and bomb. My father saved. Pyrexia. Unknown origin. Frontline battalion. He lay sick in bed. His comrades formed their line. Then came the whistle, and then the news that everyone was dead. In later life, a polished comic poet. No words to us expressed that awful fear, although we knew such things were not forgotten. He dreamed so soon. He wrote Belloc and Lear. When I was 10, he died. But I remember, although just once, he'd hinted at the truth. He put down Henry King and Jabberwocky and read me Owen's anthem for doomed youth. What passing bells for those who die as cattle? Only the monstrous anger of the guns. And so some lines to Spike, Gove's mindless prattle. These words are soul, survivor, soldier's sons.
1: And that was Attila the Stockbroker with another quite recent poem that was a centenary war poem for my father bill baines now this is going to be the second part of my interview with attila where we were talking about early musical influences and all that exciting and uh groovy stuff
6: well yeah i mean I'm, i go back way i mean i was inspired with reggae i mean i go right back to uh, to the clash when they first started and brought over marky dread and there was misty and roots with you know doing them um, doing the, I mean, I, I was actually at the, the album that John Peel said was his favorite of all time, Misty and Roots, live at the County Eurovision because at that time '79, just before I started as a telly, I was living in Brussels, playing in a punk band called and Jean playing the bass, I'm um, a bass player too, um, and, um, and and uh, you know I still do play with them occasionally, but yeah, I was at the gig. It was the County Eurovision in Brussels. We helped organise it, um, or we did organise it, and, um, and 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 that was the, the gig that John Peel sort of made his favorite of all time in terms of a record um, uh, live recording, uh, Mr. Roots. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. The, um, the, you know, the development of, uh, of, of the scene through the eighties, you know, I've always always a part of it. I was always on the Redskins, Utaneurotics clash side, rather than the crass sort of crusty anarchy thing. I, w- I always say, I wish the Sex Pistols were called their first single disciplined, clear-minded socialist organization in the UK, open brackets with clean underpants to so close brackets it would have made everything a lot simpler and easier to organise. Um, not, I mean, I work with anarchists, I work with socialists, I work with everybody who's opposed to the disgusting system we've got at the moment. But, but I do, you know, I mean, uh, there was an awful lot of shouty, tuneless stuff going down, and I was, all, I was always into tunes and, and a good attitude and a progressive, positive sort of approach to, to life. And I still am today, you know. I mean, that's,
1: yes. And how did you, I mean, it, that seems quite interesting, because there was quite a, a lot of, there was a lot of stuff which was quite good and, and positive and there was a lot which was just very destructive and sort of quite unpleasant, you know, in, even though it was dressed up as anarchy, you know, in the... In the...
6: Well, I mean, I, you know, in the, in the early 1980s, I was seriously targeted by the far right. My first mandol- mandolin was smashed over my head during a fight with Bonin's a fascist gig in London. Um, you know, there was a lot of good people in the, in, the, in the anarchy scene. But actually, in my latest book, there's a poem called The Return of Winter Vomiting Bug, um, which is an Im- imaginary name. I mean, obviously, you know, like, oh, there were loads of bands in the 80s, you know, anarchy sort of type bands, loud, shouty, tuneless, and named after horrible diseases. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And, I, so that, that, and, and so I had this imaginary band, the Winter, Winter Vomiting Bug, doing a gig in the broken toilet in Slough. Uh, and their their sort of their, their their best song was called Smash the System. Uh, you know, so that that seemed it up for me. You know, a, a lot of the time with those bands, I always thought you know Crass sang Smash the System, but some of some of the people who listened thought they meant Smash the System, which is why it was sometimes pretty difficult to go for a dump uh, at some of the gigs because you know the toilets have been smashed up. I mean, uh, and if people think that the anarchy is smashing up toilets, then well, basically they know, they need to go to Africa where the people don't have toilets. and and uh, yeah, I, yes. I know that's all how it was. You know, it's yes. not so much like that
1: anymore. So as we pol- moved into the nineties, and we had the John Major years, and then Team Tony and New Labour, how did you sort of feel that you fitted in? Because obviously, at that stage, it seemed like.
6: Well, I didn't, did I? I wrote um, I wrote Guy Fawkes' table. I, and Iron Bevan, your party is dead, and the time for a new one is nigh. With the last person left, please turn out the lights. New Labour, please mm, off and die. Um, no, I I, I, uh, I was I left. I, mean, I was never in the Labour Party. I was never in any party really up until, and um, I joined for a very short time before the 1997 general election. Was, then was thrown out and rejoined the day after Jeremy got elected. That's my. But I've always been doing my own thing, you know, politically. I mean, it was never for me a question of necessarily of being a member of a party, um, but um, you know, for just do, being involved in the way that I wanted to, you know. So uh, you know, doing my own thing.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, and how do you sort of keep? optimistic or do you not keep optimistic? Well, those... I mean,
6: again, uh, you, you you should have done a bit more internet research before you did the interview, mate, because there's huge amounts of optimistic stuff. And my new book's called Undaunted. Yes. Um, it's, uh, you know, I'm very optimistic. I've been diagnosed with bladder cancer. We've got Trump, we've got Brexit. There's all, all this stuff going off. Um, I am absolutely, completely, 100% undaunted and, you know, still fired up and still angry and still... And at the same time, writing about, absolutely writing about um, about the important issues, both both politically and personally. You know, I write an awful lot of my stuff now. I'm 59. I've been doing this for more than 35 years. A lot of my stuff is, is, is very personal, right? about my past, about my family, about, you know, and obviously the things that, that happened health-wise. You know, I'm writing about all of that. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, in answer to your question, I just think I'm very, very lucky. I have the kind of personality which which means that I do keep optimistic. I, I love life. I want, you know, I want to do as much you know, I, as I can in the time I've got left. And, and that's what I'm doing. And that's what I've always done. You know, that's absolutely... You know, that's what I've
1: always Classic line there. You should have done your research, mate. I did. I don't know. I don't know. I obviously got the wrong end of the stick on that one. But anyway, I can laugh at it now as well as then. Anyway, this is... Uh, Look, we need to play a little bit more, um, I was going to say music, but let's have a little bit more Attila the Stockbroker because let's face it, he's cuddly and lovely, and we just want to uh, be his best friend. You probably can on Facebook, so check it out. But anyway, this is going to be one of your favourite, my favourites. We all loved this back in the day, and we probably still play it every day. I'm sure they do it on um, daytime radio. Lebanon, Lebanon students from hell, take it away. Oh,
2: And, and hooves. We're going to shoot everything that moves, and we don't care just what you say, you sold us the weapons anyway, so don't mess with us, cause we're foreign, and we smell, we're the Libyan students from hell. Tele goes wrong or your car won't start, you can bet your life, we played our part, your team doesn't win or you miss the bus, 10 to 1 it's all down to us, if a dog runs off with your copy of the sun, and brings it back with the crossword done, if someone smacks you in the head, or you find John Major uh, in your bed, we did it, and everything else as well, cause we're Libyan students from hell. About a Libyan student, can't you tell? Hey, nothing very prudent about a Libyan student from hell. To grateful, hey, 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 hey. we imported neighbours to these shores, personally started three world wars, broke your grand coronation box. Sold him both of all his drugs. Caused the plague and the great fire too. Brought the prices right to you. Pushed drummer Maxwell over the side. Took my Bowden for his last words. Don't mess with us. We're foreign and we smell. We're the Libyan students from hell. Ah! Yeah. Libyan students from hell. From hell, eh, living at students from hell, eh, living at students from hell, living students from
1: hell. Yes, indeed, we knew how to party back in the days. So anyway, that was from his. Attila's 1991 album. This is Free Europe. This is David Eastall. And this is going to be the third part of my interview with Attila, where we talk probably more about life, love, and um, all that kind of groovy stuff. And also about getting old and dealing with parents who are sort of losing it or have lost it and um, never even had it. But anyway, this is where we talk about his mother who was, um, well, passed away, but also she had Alzheimer's. I know, I know how to keep the party running. I just don't know why I don't get invited to more parties.
6: Have you, have you seen or read my um my my long poem for my mum and her battle with Alzheimer's? I mean you know, that's the uh, that that it's called the long goodbye. I mean it's maybe the best thing I've ever written. Um and that, you know, that sums up for me, you know, life um and you know, a long life with someone you love and then she gets she gets really ill and you help and look after her and, and keep you know, keep doing what you can. Um and um, I wrote this poem for her just to remember just to remind her of who she was she never went into a home we looked after her all the way through six years um and I I wrote another poem about my stepfather who I basically when I was growing up my dad died when I was 10 my mum remarried when I was 14 um basically my stepfather and I didn't get on at all until you know 37 years later when mum was had really bad alzheimer's and he was doing his best to care for her and we reconciled you know, and um, yeah, I mean, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm writing about everything really now. I'm mean, a very wide-ranging themes in my work and i'm very proud of that yes it's like, fair enough when i started off i was basically feddy one Don't mention i was an angry young punk rocker who was angry about the political situation and angry about fascists and and, and all that sort of thing and I, I still at the time then back then i was writing about football and stuff as well and disgusting poems but i mean you know and now i'm much obviously it's what happens when you get older it's what should happen when you get older you write about lots of different things and and, and that's what I've, that's what i've done another side of my life um, that people who are familiar with me will know exactly. Absolutely, I'm home and away Brighton of Albion fan. Have been um, all my life, and um, without being big-headed, I was one of the people that that basically organised the supporters' in, you know organisation in the in the mid to late 90s when we had to fight to save the club. Uh, we spent two years playing at home matches at Gillingham after our ground was sold. Then um, 11 years, 40. Uh, uh, yeah, 14 years playing in a useless... 12 years playing in a useless athletic stadium called With Dean before we finally got our new stadium in 2011. I was the stadium announcer from 1997 to 2011 and I'm poet in residence um, and have been doing that for since 2000 as well.
1: And obviously one of your your sort of football... One of your great football poems was the one which was about Brighton and Manchester United, wasn't it?
6: Yeah, and Smith must score. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And and what... what were you... Um, watching at that moment when he was through I
6: was I was there I'm totally 5 yards out an open goal and not a man in sight it's 1983 cup final we just got relegated um we we just you know we finished bottom of the of of, of, the, of the table uh, but we got to the cup final And um, it was the first time in our history we'd ever got to the cup final. In those days, the FA Cup final still meant something. We were playing Manchester United and, you know, the the general received wisdom was we didn't have a hope in hell, but we played really well. It was two all after extra time. Ten seconds to go in extra time. This happened. Good and Smith must score. Five yards out, an open goal and not a man in sight. The memory of that awful miss still haunts me late at night. Ten seconds left in extra time and history in the making. But Smith's shot hit the goalie's legs and now our hearts are breaking. A paralytic lemming with the skill of a dead cat and the of hamster could have done better than that. A decomposing dogfish wrapped in bondage, head to toe, could have stuck that ball into the net. But Gordon Smith, oh no. When Robinson broke down the left and put the ball across, we knew for sure the seagull's win was Man United's loss. And as old Smithy shaped a shoot, a mighty roar went up. The impossible had happened. We'd won the FA Cup. A fleeting glimpse of glory, alas, was not to be. We lost the replay 4-0, went down to Division 3. The one chance of a lifetime so cruelly snatched away But till the white coats come for me. I'll never forget that day. And then, of course, we, we did go down. We went down to Division 3 and we lost the ground, but now we've come back through all the years of battles. We've been challenging. We've been in the playoffs for, uh, for most of the last few years. And this year, you know, and means, I mean, last year we missed out on goal difference at the end of the season and had four plays carried off in the semi-final of the playoffs. Um, this season, we're you know we're we're night we're six points clear uh, with eight games to go, six points clear of third place, um, and hopefully we're going to do it this year. Um, you know, Brighton fans, we, we never take anything for granted though. Um, the, the 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 main thing that, that that poem has been eclipsed by another one called Goldstone Ghosts, which is the epic poem I wrote for the last ever game at the Goldstone um, in uh, in uh, 1997 when the ground had been sold by this so and so Bill Archer. Uh, basically uh, the money went, we didn't have any money, and um, we had to fight to keep the club alive. But that poem is, is legendary, it's on the um, it's on the wall of our new supporters bar in our new stadium, and one verse of it is in every entrance point as you go up into the stadium, uh, the, there's a crucial verse about, you know, we were there in 97
1: and we're here now. OK, that was the third part of my interview with Attila, just one more bit to go. But before we plough into that one, I think we should play a little, another one of his poems, and this is another quite recent one. This is titled Written from Scratch.
2: This is a poem for all the animal liberationists and conservationists out there, written from scratch. The earth is in a right old mess. We've screwed it up indeed. Pollution, global warming, and endless corporate greed. So many creatures threatened and some already gone. The planet groans in anguish while the juggernaut rolls on. We worry about the elephants, the bears and tigers too. And if they're close to dying out, we breed them in a zoo. It seems the only ones we save are big or have some hair because 70 frog species have gone and no one seems to care. Now, since a kid, I've always loved the world which crawls and squirms. I've snakes and toads and newts at home, and even some pet worms. And there's one special little mite, the same size as a flea, I've always had a soft spot for, though no, not literally. Now some blame the Brazilians, and some blame good old soap. One long-established guest of ours is quickly losing hope. For centuries it munched its fill, oblivious to class as fond of paupers privates as a bit of royal arse. But in our hygiene conscious age, it seems it's had its day. Even the goths and palace fans are scrubbing it away. And if we carry on like this, the verdict is succinct. Our one time nether nemesis may soon become extinct. This is for conservationists who stand for animal rights. You need to make a bit of space in underpants and tights. It's time to give it house room and not just in your house. So heed the call of nature now and save the pubic louse.
1: I hope you're paying attention because I will test you at the end of the show just to make sure you've been paying attention. Anyway, we're all very excited and hyperventilating here on the C86 show because, uh, as as you probably gather, it's a Teller the uh, Stockbroker special. And this is going to be the fourth and, sadly, the final part of the interview uh, where we talk about what he's up to and his most recent work at the moment. There you go. Take it away.
6: My new book is full of politics and you know Brexit, Trump, the whole. You know, let me let me give you a couple of poems from from. Let me give you a couple of poems oh, yes. from uh, from the new book. Um, this is um, this is called Teresa the appeaser. Teresa the appeaser met the Lady Garden Squeezer. Her brain was in the freezer. She treated him like Caesar. He's a really dodgy geezer. Tell Queen Liz if he sees her, grab his knob with a tweezer and revoke his sodding visa. Okay, uh, and then um, this one's a, a poem that I wrote about. Um, about the whole Brexit thing. i dedicated to a mate of mine called um, Bonnie Chambers in Hartlepool, uh, a place which voted 70% to leave and which is kept alive has been kept alive by EU money in the main. It's called Take Back Control. You tell me how you suffered since the closure. I see the pain and sadness in your eyes. I feel your anger at our country's leaders who offer only platitudes and lies. At gigs, I hear so many of these stories, all different, but the message is the same. They it up to here with politicians. No longer going to play their poxy game. The referendum was your chance. You took it. They told you we'd be taking back control. Control of jobs and factories and borders. A revolution wrapped up in a poll. The EU is a massive corporate bully. Cheap labour and big profits at its core. I understand why you voted for Brexit. One chance to strike a blow in the class war. But it wasn't the EU who shut your pit down sent Met thugs rampaging through your street. It didn't close your hospitals and workshops, smash down your union to brave defeat. No EU diktat caused the housing crisis, the poll tax, bedroom tax or zero hours. No, all of these were brought in by the Tories. Soon those bastards will have brand new powers. So let's take back control with strong trade unions. Let's take back control and organise. Take back control of pub and school and workplace and counter all the endless media lies. Take back control as we all stand together. No scapegoating and no divide and rule. The future is unwritten and it's daunting. Please don't let UKIP take you for a
1: fool. Cheers. And that was the fourth and final part of my interview with Attila, the stockbroker. A big thank you for giving me the time. And if you want to know any more information, he does have a very informative website with... Lots of information about books, albums, tours and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, look, we've still got 15 minutes before the end of the show. As long as I'm not going to choke anymore. But anyway, one of the albums and bands he mentioned a bit earlier on was Misty and Roots and this live album, which was titled Counter Eurovision. And this came out in 1979. John Peel rated it as one of his favourite albums of all time. And I thought we should play a track from it. This is from Sire 2. This is Judas Iscariot. And there you go, that's Misty and Roots, and that was a track from there, Alive live at the counter Eurovision from 1979, titled Judas Iscariot. This is David Eastall, the C86 show. I think I've still got time for a few more songs, so I'll try and squeeze at least one in, possibly two, but it might get faded out. But as we were talking earlier, me and Attila, as you do, um, he did mention The Clash, and I did sort of think, I haven't played anything by The Clash for a long time On this show, or any show, or even in the kitchen. So I thought, well, you know, there is one of my favorites of all time, and it would be quite nice to hear again. So this is The Magnificent Seven.
4: Shoots a lobster, too foolish, don't get out of hand. Car in the fridge, a fridge in the car, like cowboys do TV land. You die, walk, don't stop. You die, oh. walk, don't stop. You die, walk, don't
5: stop. Give it all you die, yeah. walk,
4: don't stop. You die, walk, don't stop. So get back to work and sweat some more. The sun will sink get out the door it's no good for man to work in cages hit the town he drinks his way What do we got? <laughs> Luke the King and the Happy went to the park to check on the game, but they was murdered by the other team. They went on to win 50 nil. You can be true, you can be false. You'll be given the same reward. Socrates and Millhouse mix both went the same way through the
7: kitchen. Plato the Greek or Intinthin.
1: Clash and that old classic that we used to love, the magnificent seven. This has been David eastall this has been the C86 show. Big thank you to Attila the stockbroker for giving me the time for that interview. As always, always uh, we always have a special guest, so tune in next week. I think it's gonna be Sally Timms, but it might not. But I should leave you with at least uh, one more song and this is going to be another poem. I know I'm all about the poetry today because, let's face it, we love it. And uh, I suppose one of the people who shaped that kind of particular world was the one and only John Cooper Clarke. This is Beasley Street.
7: From crazy pavements, the taste of silver spoons, a clinical arrangement on a dirty afternoon, where the fecal germs of Mr. Freud are rendered obsolete. The legal term is null and void in the case of Beasley Street. In the cheap seats where murder breeds Somebody is out of breath Sleep is a luxury They don't need a sneak preview of death Belladonna is your flower Manslaughter your meat isn't That's where it is State your position Vacancies exist In an ex-certificate exercise Ex-service men excrete Keith Joseph smiles and a baby dies In a box on Beasley Street from the boarding houses and the bed sits Full of accidents and fleas Somebody gets it Where the missing persons freeze Wearing dead men's overcoats You can't see their feet A rift joint shuts Opens up right down on Beasley Street Cars collide, colours clash Disaster movie stuff For a man with a foo-man-chew moustache Revenge is not enough There's a dead canary on a swivel seat There's a rainbow in the road Meanwhile on Beasley Street Silence is the cold An inspector calls Where the perishing stink of squalor Impregnates the walls The rats have all got rickets They spit through broken teeth The name of the game is not cricket Caught out on Beasley Street The hipster and his hired hat Drive a borrowed car, yellow socks and a pink cravat, nothing loudy there. OAP, mother to thee. Watch the three P sweets when shit stopper drains and crocodile skis are seen on Beasley streets. The kingdom of the blind. A one-eyed man is king Beauty problems are redefined The doorbells do not ring A light bulb bursts like a blister The only form of heat Where a fellow sells his sister Down a river on Beasley Street The boys are on the wagon The girls are on the shelf Their common problem is That they're not someone else The dirt blows out The dust blows in You can't keep it neat It's a fully furnished dustbin 16 Beasley Street Vince the ageing savage betrays no kind of life but the smell of yesterday's cabbage and the ghost of last year's wife through a constant haze of deodorant sprays he says retreats Alsatians dot the dirty days Sweethearts are physically sick Every time they kiss It's a sociologist paradise Each day repeats Uneasy, cheesy, greasy, queasy Beastly, beastly streets Eyes dead as vicious fish the graph